Welcome to Innovative Legal Leadership, the podcast where you'll hear from the world's most innovative general counsel and their leadership teams for their insights into the running of a Fortune 500 in-house legal department. The challenges, the wins, the roadblocks, the journey to date, and most importantly, what lies ahead. Let's get into the show. Hello, listeners. In today's episode, very excited to tell you that I've been speaking to Bindu Kujo. Um, Bindu is currently the General Counsel, Senior Vice President and Company Secretary at Canadian Western Bank. Um, and she's held that position for the last three years. It's a fantastic discussion. Bindu takes us through her journey um, first as a law firm partner at Macmillan. She spent quite a bit of time also, I think about six years at um, Bank of Montreal. Um, and uh, she takes us through her journey. Um, lots of interesting things that we talked about. For example, the importance of attitude. We hear that a lot. Innovation versus invention. I love Bindu's take on that. And the importance of optimism and curiosity and how that fuels innovation too. So it's a marvellous discussion. I know you're going to enjoy it. So in the usual fashion, sit back, chillax and enjoy the episode. Hello, Bindu. It's fantastic to see you again. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Jim. I am so delighted to be here and to see you again after all this time. I'm super excited. It's been a few years, hasn't it, actually? I think it might be three or four years anyway. So, yeah, I'm super excited too, Bindu. So you're currently, of course, the Senior Vice President, GC and Company Secretary uh, at CWB, Canadian Western Bank. You've had a fantastic career. I'm not going to spoil it by giving the highlights, but I'm going to ask you to tell the audience a little bit about the Bindu Kujo story. How did it all start? <laughs> oh, wow. That is, um, that's a big question. Um, so, well, I will say this last, this role that I'm in now is really been a lovely coming of the full circle for me. So yeah. I grew up in Western Canada. So I did my undergrad at University of Calgary. Um, and so I actually know where Edmonton is, which is where the head office for um, Canadian Western Bank is. But of course, I then moved out to um, Toronto to go to law school. And then I spent sort of the last 25 years here and got married, kids, you know, mortgage to, to the eyeballs. Like, so now this is what we do. Um, and so when this role came up to be the general counsel for a bank, so I experience entire professional working career working for banks um, in private practice, doing their deals, and then later having joined Bank of Montreal and uh, been in their head office and did a variety of different roles. Um, Banks were my life. And when this role came up, it was really an opportunity to say, okay, like, are you really ready for the big job? Um, Because I'd been a deputy GC and I loved that and it was exciting. Um, So this was just really an opportunity to kind of take that next step in sort of a legal leader ladder and and then bring it home to where I, my roots. So that's the story. Now, before we do a deep dive in the CWB and the current position, take me through. So you've spent quite a bit of time. You spent, I think it was at least six or so years at BMO, but before that you were a partner at Macmillan. Yes. Tell us about the transition from partnership. I think you had about seven years there from what you've said, you were um, uh, working in the financial sector. Tell us about the transition from partnership to to in-house at that time to to BMO Financial Group. What was that like? What were you prepared for, ready for, and what were you not well prepared for? So it was was a flyer. 
needless to say, a little bit, um, yeah. although I didn't have a plan B. Um, yeah. I guess I started getting a bit restless in the firm. Um, I had a great practice, great colleagues. I loved my clients. I did lots of interesting work, interesting deals. Um, but I'd come back a couple, I'd been back a couple of years from my third maternity leave. And I was sort of looking out at the future and going, well, okay. And yeah. uh, lots, uh, lots, was, was there a, is this all there is partnership? Is, well, there, is there anything more? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've, had, I've had one of those too, actually. Yeah. Is, it, is this it? Mm, interesting. Yeah. So I, I looked forward and I was like, well, you know, every year performance conversations or, you know, points, it's all like great job. Just, do yep. this plus 10% next year. And yeah. that was exciting. You know, it's motivating to some degree. Yep. But I, you know, I had a couple of friends who'd gone in-house. And while I must admit that despite having worked for banks my entire life, I didn't really think the Bank Act and, like, bank regulatory was really the space that I wanted yep. to be. And I loved transactions. I loved deals. I liked negotiating that stuff. But I had a couple of friends who'd gone in-house and they would, were very transparent that it was really about who you were working with and not every in-house department was made the same. And, you know, there's pros and cons to private practice and, and in-house. But I thought, you know what, let me explore. And I had lunch with a friend who had, you know, just that day learned that one of her colleagues at Bank of Montreal was moving into a different role in the organization. And I kind of stopped her and I said, well, like you, you talk very, you know, positively about your boss. Like, do you think they're, are they going to backfill the role? And she said, she was sort of, oh yeah, absolutely. Next thing you know, six weeks later I'm there and, and it just <laughs> happened that quickly, right? So I reached yeah. out to her boss and it was just a tremendous transition. So I had this opportunity to work for this in, big in-house department, which very much felt like a law firm, right? There was about 250 lawyers. It's not yep. a small team. Um, but most importantly, I had a great boss. And he was that wonderful mix of, you know, really curious, really interested in lots of things, lots of enthusiasm, but knows his stuff, but always gave really great practical advice. And he was such a great person to learn from, to help make that transition of, you know, being external counsel and giving that advice and wrapping it in a bow and like tossing it over the wall and hoping that it landed and that it made sense, but realizing yeah. he didn't have all the context. And so going in-house was the opportunity for me to not stick to my knitting. And that was actually probably the most fun about what, what it was when I got there. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, there was lots to learn, right? Because if you don't pull yourself back, you will be endlessly consumed, right? Because, wow, you can read legalese. Um, yeah. And they will ask you to read everything because everything's legalese. I'm like, nope, that would be English. And I know you can read this stuff. But, you know, you have to sort of put your own boundaries. You have to sort of create your own risk tolerance about what is worth your time. Not because yeah. it's not worth it, but I may not be the best person to be involved. I may not really have the great, um, the most valuable perspective for you. So I think there was lots of great learning. And again, I had a great teacher to do that. And so, yeah, but I, I sort of went to the role thinking, let me give it six months. And if I'm not any good at this or it doesn't float my boat, then I'll just photocopy the employee directory and go back to go, go back because, you know, yeah. those are my clients anyways. Um, but seriously, six months in, there was no looking back. I just, I absolutely loved it. And, and is there anything, particularly in those early days, that you saw, thought to yourself having come from a law firm, did you say to yourself, I now see what I was doing as a partner in a law firm, the way I was delivering my advice, I now see that completely differently. Or um, with the benefit of the in-house experience, I would now deliver that in a very in a different way, now being the recipient. Is there anything, um, any of those learnings? Tell, tell me about that. 
Absolutely. So I'd say it was a couple of months into the, well, no, it was a little bit longer than that. So I definitely yeah. opened my eyes to sort of the way information and advice had to be delivered, right? Because I would yeah. write really lengthy emails and realize that wow, when I was in the bank and I was on, you know, really on the business side of it, that I was like, whoa, that, whoa, I just should not scroll down three screens to get the punchline. So, you know, again, <laughs> reordering that, that that was important. And, and that, but that's a really sort of small tactical thing. I think what I really had to learn very quickly was often the question you were asked was not really the question that needed to be answered. And so making the time, which is hard to do when you're docketing your time, right? When you're being, yeah. when you're being valued by the time spent, that it was really hard to get into those more exploratory conversations to be able to kind of, you know, okay, so you asked what color the sky was, but that's you know, what, tell me why you're asking. Yeah. And, and to sort of really dig into it and, and to bring that to life. And that was really hard to do as external counsel. So I, I figured out that internally I had the luxury of doing that. And then also, again, not sticking to my knitting. I didn't, I wasn't exclusively stuck with legal matters. I was like, well, why does your system do that? And like, why, what are you, you know, what are we doing to kind of build around a system? Could we change the system, et cetera. But I had an epiphany and it was, I had to get some advice about sanctions and we had retained counsel in, in Washington, D.C. And I didn't know who this person was, but he came highly recommended. And I had somebody on the team and we were we were getting this advice. And just through the conversation with him, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the difference between the kind of lawyer I was and the kind of lawyer I want to be. Because he just had this way of he was giving high stakes advice. Like, you know, we're talking about major consequences if we didn't get this right. But he just listened to us so carefully. He was so thoughtful. He was so measured. He took into account all the risk tolerances. And he felt like a real partner in delivering that advice as opposed yep. to sort of what at times could feel very transactional. And so, yeah, that was a real shift for me to say, well, if I were to ever go back to private practice and maybe one day, although I don't know, because I'm really not an expert in anything anymore other than like yep. I'm, a, I'm a big generalist. But if I were to go back, it w- I would never deliver advice in the same way. And uh, and and that's been one of the greatest gifts about being in-house is you just realize how you need that information, how you need that advice and, and where it goes. Because, you know, yep. you can write a great memo and then it just sits in like getting dusty somewhere. I actually inherited some dusty memos when I arrived at my new job here. Or it sits in someone's inbox and it just gets yep. lost along the way. So how do you bring it to life? Yeah, and that that ability to listen and to ask questions that that's going to provide you the answers to which will provide you the context of what you really need to deliver. I mean, that is the earlier you can get that skill, <laughs> um, certainly the better a, a, as an external legal advisor. And that's a tough one. And if you haven't had exposure to that, if you haven't put on the the eyes and the ears of the in house and the you know what what the in house counsel is faced with on a day-to-day basis that can be really hard you may never actually get to really learn that as an external advisor it's really true right because that's one thing is you just don't tend to get a lot of debate about your advice uh, unless it's in the legal department the business isn't going to necessarily debate you on it they might ignore you but they're they're not necessarily going to kind of dig and ask for that nuance and so anyways just a a real lesson for me and i i still marvel at this guy (laughs) 
That now, Bindu, when I, when I look at your accolades, frankly, I'm a little embarrassed for myself, but let, let me just call out a few. So most recently, 2021, a finalist in the Women Trailblazer Canadian Law Magazine. And, re, and, and in the past, you've been um, uh, nominated, or you've certainly been, you've come in the top 25 most influential lawyers in Canada, again by Canadian lawyer, and, and I think a, a Lexpert rising star leading lawyers under 40 a few years ago. Now, what are you doing, Bindu, that's making you stand out from the crowd? Um, it's a really good question. I mean, listen, I am no more intelligent than anybody else. In fact, some might say not not even quite so. Um, but, you know, I guess I'm all in on everything that I do, right? I, I'm very passionate. I I don't spend my time doing things that I don't enjoy isn't quite the right word, but that challenge me, that inspire me. And usually I find like fun along the way. And I think when you do those things, like you find your people in different parts of, you know, the community and your organization, you have some fun. Um, We can do more together. Like I truly believe that creativity comes out of, out, out of pleasure and fun and laughter. And I know creativity can come out of like dire straits and difficult times, but it's not where I choose to want to be most of the yeah. time. Um, and so I'd say, I think that's it because, you know, do I work hard? Absolutely. Do I, you know, I try to have a full, a full life, right? It's not just work. I have, you know, a big family and I want to contribute to my various communities, both local and professional. Um, and so I try to have a wide variety that way, but all of it is just centered on like, do I get, what am I getting out of this? What can I contribute to this? Right. Both professionally and and otherwise. So I guess, I guess it's just being really, really into what I'm doing and, but that's shifted over time. Right. And, and that's cool. Like I'm, I'm glad I shouldn't be anywhere forever. Yeah, and, and, and when I combine all of those, I mean, the, the hard work is kind of a given, okay, but when you're actually doing, when you're working hard at what you're passionate in, what you love doing, and you're resonating, I suppose, that passion, that, to me, that makes you stand out. Where Whatever the crowd is, that makes you stand out because you can see the people who are, as you called it, all in, and those that are all in and are passionate, working hard, they attract Others, I think, that have got those kind of attributes, and uh, yeah, and it's certainly easier to stand out in the crowd. So I can I can see why, and thought it's natural. It's not a put on because yes. it's hard to put that kind of stuff on for a long time. Well, it won't ring through, right? It won't ring through. But that's exactly like when you and I met yeah. four, five years ago at some ACC conference and wherever. When I ran down from the back of the audience at the end of the. Um, I think it was the end of the panel session and, you know, Miss Kudru, Miss Kudru, can we speak? Can we speak? You know, that kind of enthusiasm. Yes, but it's that enthusiasm, right? And then when you started to tell me about your gig and what you're doing and what inspired you, I mean, like, why yep. wouldn't I be all in on that? Like, that's yep. exciting. Like, look at what you're yep. doing. You are reimagining things. You're not accepting the status quo, but you're building on the experiences that you have. So, yeah. And you know what? It's that. It's like creating communities, whether we're across the globe and whether we see each other all the time. It's finding people who um, are similarly excited by what they're doing. And I just think it kind of collectively creates this big kind of environment, right, yep. of of creativity and and fun so yeah listen you've got that too 
In fact, that dovetails into something else I was going to ask you about, you know, how important is innovation, I suppose, however you want to define or describe that, as an attribute in what we're talking about and effectively making you stand out, making you passionate about what you're doing, making you all in and making um, those kind of features resonate through the community that you're dealing with. Talk a little bit about, you know, how the role that you see innovation play and whatever you think that, that actually means. First of all, it's not invention. So, you know, as much as I was like a little kid and tinkering and pouring things together and hoping I was going to create something, you know, absolutely net new and never seen in the world. That's not not I love where you're going with this, actually. So go on. It's not invention. What do you mean by that? It's not invention, but it's, it's to take something perhaps as you find it. And I think law is a perfectly beautiful right area for that, right? There's lots of precedent. There's a lot. Things have been done for hundreds of years, maybe even thousands. And they, and they work. But is there an opportunity for us to bring a different lens? So maybe that's by your personal diversity, right? You know, just the way you're, you're training. Like one of the things I think is marvelous about lawyers is that there is no cut cloth for the way you get to becoming a lawyer, right? Like you can have any number of pursuits leading up to it. And it's the process of sort of a legal education and then qualifications thereafter that sort of help you become a lawyer. But Like, I love it that engineers are lawyers and, you know, artists and, you know, drama students and political scientists and business people. Like, I I, I think that that's wonderful. So you bring that lens and then you look around the world. And for me, so much of what's been inspiring is to think about what I embrace at a personal level, at a consumer level, and to think about the impact of that on the way I deliver advice, the way I deliver services, the way we receive it. So that's one lens, but there could be any number of them, right? And 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 some of this is very much about personal diversity, right? So my experience as a racialized person growing up in Canada with all kinds of privilege and all kinds of great stuff, right? I, I went to good schools, English is my first language. I, you know, have had great jobs, lots of terrific pedigree. But I still face barriers in places and I still see the world in a slightly different way. But it's not the same as perhaps somebody who's, you know, part of the LGBTQ community or is is a you know part of the black community or indigenous or any number. And like there's no competition on who's got it worse because wherever it, it sucks, it sucks. But, you know, I, I can't forget that lens as a woman, as a racialized person, as you know, where I'm at in my age and stage, where my Western sensibilities of where I grew up, I practice, you know, largely in Ontario, it's it's just a different piece. And I think when you bring, you know, kind of personal diversity, you bring lenses that are of interest to you, you apply technology in the way it's enabling for us to connect and do things. That's where you start finding innovation, Innovation, right? It's, yep. it's taking and it could be incremental and it could be iterative, right? Because the thing that we thought was really cool, like I still, I don't know. You, do you remember the, what were they called? Palm? They were yeah. like the, the, day planner the, things, yeah, right? Yeah, palm planners and, yep. Yes, palm pilots. There you go. And that was like revolutionary. And then all of a sudden it got completely replaced by phones, which are basically mainframe computers held in our hand that we've got all of this stuff on. And yet the phones keep getting larger and larger. And it's like you're carrying around. Everything changes over time. So I just figure... I don't have to solve, I don't have to make anything perfect. We can just sort of make some improvements. So that's kind of how I, how I tackle that and not put the pressure of trying to create something net new for the world because I'm really not that clever, right? But I am enthusiastic and will take a good idea and run with it. Well, well, there's a couple of, um, I've heard you talk about two particular characteristics, which I think are totally in line with what you're speaking about now. And it's really, it's optimism 
and curiosity. So I think when you when you talk about um, it, it's not invention um, and that it, it's incremental, and if you're adding optimism um, and curiosity, if you're just curious about things, about why they're working the way they are, can they work a little bit better, and you're bringing that kind of enthusiasm and optimism to, is there a better solution out there? I, I think that's a fantastic formula to deliver, you know, on... on you know, incremental innovation, and that's what it's all about. It is not about revolutionising, and never is. That's, that stuff is hard, but the incremental um, innovation, that's what's delivering, I think, success at a personal level as well as more broadly amongst the, you know, you com the community that you're working with. For sure, for sure. Yep. And it's achievable by all of us, right? Like, yes. you don't have to be a genius. It didn't have to be a gift at birth and some you know, milieu genes that made you a genius. Any of us can do this, right? And I think curiosity and optimism, the fact that there's like something out there that could be better and that you're willing to kind of follow your nose to get there is is something we can all do. And, and it really brings people together, right? Like probably the best piece of advice I ever got from a business colleague, she was talking sort of generally and it was in this large forum around... Um, you know, what, what could the legal department do better? And she said, and it was so simple. And later she became like a personal mentor to me and we talked about it more, but she's like, could you just try to be enthusiastic about what it is that you want to do? And I was like, <laughs> and the, like the stunned look on people's faces. She's like, I know you're really smart. Like, I know you're all really smart. I know we've missed stuff along the way that we haven't thought it through. But could you just start with, that's a really cool idea, even if you don't totally believe it, then you can take it down. Like, you can break it down as <laughs> to why it's not. But I thought, you know, what a simple thing. And then I thought about that at a human level. Like, who wants to, and again, it's, you know, I think it's sometimes the, the cloak that lawyers wear, right? Is that, you know, everyone jokes about us being the police and Department of No and all of this stuff, right? But that's not a really fun coat to wear as you walk into every meeting where everyone's expecting you to poo-poo things. And so what if we were actually walking in and we were just as excited about what they're doing and we were creating together, we were ideating, we were making this better. Um, and I've thought about that as I think about curiosity and optimism and just how much more palatable my constructive feedback will be if yep. you are not on the defense about it, right? That we can yeah. talk about how to solve the problem. So it's, I, I, uh, I, I yeah. just, I, I do love that. And, and it's, it's a broader learning too, isn't it? Whenever you're dealing with anyone, nobody wants to finish a conversation and feel like they're on a downer. Yeah. Okay. What, you want you love engaging with people who energize you, whatever they're doing. Okay, nice. if it's about the small. So if you feel energized after a conversation, whatever the problem, whatever the issue is, that has got to be. Um, that's a huge plus, and that's one thing I try to. I talk to my kids about. Are you an energy sapper or an energy giver? So do people feel exhausted after speaking to you, or do they feel energized? and ready to take on whatever it might be. And, and that skill, and I think you're talking a little bit about that, just having that as an attribute, I think I think can go a really long way to your own personal um, health and satisfaction and, and those around you. Absolutely. I, I was at a session this weekend and somebody was talking about, you know, sort of what gives you life energy. And I thought, that's a great way to look at it. And it's so easy for us to kind of think that everything to do with work might actually be a sapper of that yeah. life energy. But I've had the great fortune and 
through hard work, but to find work and the things that I do uh, and the people that I've met along the way as that source of life energy, right? Where I'm learning and I'm, we're having fun together and we're creating and we're building something bigger than what we started with. And that's just a joy. And it's, a, you know, to your point about the conversations you have with your kids, do I clock out of work every day at, you know, 4.15? No, but this isn't necessarily work, right? Like yep. this is, there's joy in this. I love yep. what I do. It's not the only thing that I do and I absolutely can put boundaries around it, but it's not a burden when, when you derive, you know, some joy out of this and some, some fun. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's when we, with the kind of work that we can do, it can consume so much of your life. And if you're not having fun along the way, if you're not making friends, if you're not growing and learning, then you are going to be really unhappy, right? It's not sustainable over the long run. So, so for everyone listening out there, ask yourself that question. Are you an en- energy sapper or an energy giver? I reckon it's a great question to ask, it, ask yeah. yourself. Because it frames your, I think it frames everything in your life. Anyway, so, so your current position you join in, I think it's December 2018, you take on the GC role at Canadian Western Bank. What are your top priorities after you let's say six months or whatever it is, how do you identify what the top priorities are? And, and, and if you can share it with us, what were they? There was a lot of like just learning. So first yep. of all, the role what did, was comprised of a couple of things that I'd never done before. So I'd never done corporate secretarial work. Um, I'd never been inside of like a public company boardroom. And so that was all new. And I will fully admit that I was pretty intimidated um, because I really, I didn't have a securities law background and I didn't have a corporate governance background. And so I was worried about all the things that I uh, didn't know, um, but was very quickly corrected by, and actually this even happened in the interview process, which, you know, I should have kept in mind a little bit more as I was sort of doubting myself and sure that everybody was going to figure out that I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> um, right. but, but during my interview, as I was sort of apologizing for all the things that weren't on my resume, my then boss, well, my soon-to-be boss at the time, who was the CFO of the company, she just looked at me and she said, you've got things on your resume that I didn't even know were things. Right. And so she's like, I'm sure you're going to figure out whatever it is that we're going to ask you to do that you haven't done before. And so even though there were moments of self-doubt as I went, I I did. I turned to all the things that I knew. So I have, you know, lots of experience in legal ops. Um, And so I, of course, turned that lens and sort of looked at at the group and the department that we had. But, you know, very quickly realized, well, the department I was at was 250 lawyers, almost 700 people. And this is a legal team of me plus six people. So perhaps I wasn't going to be able to scale, do the things that I wanted to in the same scale. Um, But what I have come to learn is that the challenges uh, that are addressed by legal ops in a huge organization or or small organization, the challenges remain, right, regardless, right? So one of the things around having an external council management program is we use a variety. It's a bank. So we use a huge number of law firms and we... You know, some of them we engage with directly, sometimes the legal department's involved, sometimes the businesses are doing it directly, but we're all managing legal risk. And we didn't at BMO, and that was one of the programs that I sort of helped put together. And what we haven't done um, with great rigor at CWB is that. So, you know, I'd say what what I, another lesson that I learned is, you know, I can have these ideas about where we want to go, but then you have to kind of, you have to scale them to your organization and where the relative organizational maturity is. So there's been wonderful lessons for me, some of them by stubbing toes, um, you know, around 
like where where is this company in its organizational journey? So, you know, to contrast these two organizations, BMO is 200 years old. It's in 25 countries. It's got you know almost 50,000 employees, 12 million customers. And CWB is 35 years old. It's only in Canada. It at the time had about 2,000 employees. We're now up to almost 3,000. So we've actually scaled quite dramatically in, in the space of three years. But we've just been a smaller bank that's been really focused on commercial work, which is actually pretty low on, on the regulatory requirement scale yeah. versus like personal business or capital markets. So I just, I had to kind of readjust um, what I could bring. And, and then come to realize that just because I didn't have a ready solution to kind of drop in into people's laps didn't mean that I didn't have value. And so yeah. there was a lot to, to learn about where the organization has been, how it got there, and then to suggest innovations. And sometimes not, none of these things were inventions, but for sure innovations about, you know, what is a path that makes sense for this organization? How can we streamline, simplify, um, and build things so that they're ready to scale as the organization grows. And so it's been so fun to build, more fun than I could have ever thought. There were times working in a bigger, more established institution where I just sort of felt like I was trying to not break it. <laughs> I was trying yeah. not to make it worse. Um, but where I where I am here, I, you know, there's just wonderful opportunity and more importantly, really great support to um, think about what we could do and how we could do it better. And, and not all of it's landed, right? Because there are organizational capacity constraints. Not all of it can be done on the time frame that I want to. It's definitely a different way of negotiating around those organizational priorities. But it's been it's been a lot of fun. I mean, and the other piece I can't diminish is just like I've got a great team, right? And they've been at the organization, a number of them for longer, obviously longer than me. The place has been running. It's been functioning. There's nothing to say anything's broken. It's definitely not broken. Um, but what can I do to add some value? So one of the bigger pieces that I've been able to do is to bring together teams that were separate. Um, so I went from having the legal team and then adding regulatory compliance and then adding our investigations unit together and then taking on some accountabilities that didn't have homes before or had homes in some places that didn't really make sense. So, so yeah, so I sort of built out a team that's got a bit of scale that gives us some leverage to be able to do, to bring some of those legal ops things to, to life, but also, got different and new priorities. So listen, it's just been a great opportunity to learn more and add more to my tool belt of the things that we could do and how we could do them. And and then looking forward, so um, having kind of got your feet well under the table in the first few years, what what does the next 12 and 24 months look like? What are the kind of top of mind issues that you're thinking about maybe keeping you up at night? Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, there's just an extraordinary amount of regulatory change happening in the banking sector, right? With you know, consumer directed finance, open banking, um, there's absolute like huge sort of systemic change in the privacy regime. So, you know, approaching GDPR, which we weren't at in Canada. So again, thinking about how we're going to comply with that, there's a, an enormous consumer protection framework that's come down the pike with requirements and requiring complaints, handling systems that we, we, had to do before. And then, of course, you know, the reliance on financial institutions to tackle financial crime um, continues. And so I'd say the regulatory change is absolutely enormous. And then that feeds into the kind of support that my legal team needs to do. It feeds into the, the, the scaling and the size and the resourcing for the compliance 
world, you know, one thing that we haven't done a, a ton of work with for a long or over a long period of time is around how we manage third party risks. And so, you know, external counsel is, is one category of yep. vendors, third parties that we have to think about, but it's a broader conversation and one that's sort of moved away from ticking boxes on third parties to rather thinking about the organizational resiliency of, of a company and organization when faced with disaster. And I mean, COVID has been the most extraordinary you know, real life tabletop exercise, if we, we could put it that way, right? What happens when you can't go into your premises anymore? How do you deliver your services? How do we engage with our clients when we always done things a certain way? And how do we adjust to that? So, you know, there's, there's, I wouldn't say any of these things keep me up at night, but they certainly make it fun and interesting. It's trying to figure out, you know, who do you talk to about how to get that stuff done? who like what are the big bit for example you know what are the bigger banks doing are they really the right model like i would say for something like open banking the bigger banks probably don't have a ton of incentive to encourage it because frankly it's their clients data that's going to be scraped yeah. and distributed but we're a smaller bank like we're a you know we're just wanting to be a disruptive force like we have more in common with the fintechs trying to collect that information than the bigger banks I was going to ask about that too, and really the uh, the, the 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 fintech overlay and how that impacts on basically the challenges or the opportunities that both CWB is looking at and you as a legal de- head of the legal department. Tell me tell me about that the, the fintech overlay. So it's really interesting because what I would say is it, our opportunity is a bit different, right? We are we we have clients, obviously, and we love them. Um, But it's a much smaller base. And while absolutely third parties may want access to our clients' data, so we have to think about it from the perspective of this is, these are clients of ours who are now asking us to share data. It's in many ways, we are much more closely aligned to fintechs. We've also, our organization, just in terms of the way it's, um, you know, developed its IT strategy over the last number of years. And as we go forward, we're a bit, we're all about partnerships. We're not, we're not a build organization. We're a buy yeah. organization. So we have to lean really heavily on in those relationships to buy access to systems. We are in the cloud in a way that, you know, certainly wasn't my experience when I was at the other bigger banks, but they're not built that way, right? They're 200 systems and a lot of yeah. on-prem stuff. And we are just younger and we kind of ripped out the core banking system a number of years ago and brought that in an enterprise data warehouse. So, you know, there's, but it is also about shifting your mind around that. Now, we are, you know, sort of in the same legal structure as one of the big banks, and there are prudential requirements for us and, and compliance with those sorts of pieces, which, you know, I think if we can get the mix right, we're going to be a perfect financial institution for many folks because you have all the protections of, you know, sort of the the larger, but like the schedule one banks, as we call them in Canada, but you've got the agility and the nimbleness and probably okay. the partnership right through us with for some smaller organizations so it really changes we're kind of not the gorilla in the room but it really but there is an access point through us to uh, a bigger platform that is really exciting and and that's a lot of fun like to think about it from that different perspective right our our job isn't to quash these things it's to sort of explore how how to how to work them and to see where there's like a an opportunity to leverage something to to do something and, and that certainly ties back into the you know the, what we were talking about around the you know, innovation theme and the incremental um, uh, improvement approach. So uh, 
Yeah. We don't have to invent it. We'll just find the right partners, right? And bring them, bring them in. And I love that. We're not going to build it. We're going to buy it. We're just going to get out there and look for who is the best partner out there. Who's done this before. Who's got the, you know, the, yeah. the we talk about best of breed. Yeah. We don't um, have and, like oh, 5,000 yeah. engineers yep. sitting on standby waiting to build stuff. Right. So how, how do we go and, and get that? And you're lucky that you don't. Um, <laughs> so um, let's talk a little bit about two favourite topics of mine, mentorship and leadership. And um, I'm going to um, uh, move into this by what you, you mentioned before when you were being interviewed by the CFO at CWB and she said to you, I'm sure, looking at your CV, I'm sure you're going to be able to figure out what you don't know. And I love that because when I, when you think about hiring great people, you, it's, it's not necessarily, has someone done this before? Has someone demonstrate the capacity to figure stuff out? Mm-hmm. And the, so, so talk, can you talk about those two things, mentoring and leadership, and, and maybe that kind of whether the figuring stuff out is an attribute that you look for too. That's just it, right? Like I, so listen, I think there's going to be some roles in a team where I I need you to have already that of knowledge and you need to be the SME in this space and we don't have a ton of room for you to be learning on the job. Um, And those are important roles. And I think sometimes we don't do enough to value those when, when we sort of encourage people to constantly keep moving in their career and and moving by moving usually means taking on different roles, leaving. There's lots of wonderful value in in folks who are experts in their space. You know, I do think sometimes you need to bring somebody into your life and whether that's through a mentoring relationship or a coaching relationship, but you need to be reminded to focus on and to lean into the strengths that you have and the capabilities that you have, as opposed to sort of looking at the gaps. And I think, you know, I would say in my experience, lawyers, you know, tend to be very oriented towards, you know, looking at a near perfect report card, but just only focusing on the couple of things that um, that they're not the best at or, or even worse, that they're awesome at, but maybe that's too much, right? Like, yep. we, you know, we, we can't, we have a hard time with that. I think the role of, of a mentor, you know, and I do think that there is distinct roles between mentor, coach and sponsor. And I think a sponsor yep. is an incredibly important thing to have in an organization. And it's very interesting to me as organizations in particular are trying to create equity in their organizations that the appointment of a sponsor is an important dimension to that and and that can feel really artificial and perhaps ineffective but yet that's how opportunities get made right when somebody has a sponsorship responsibility to somebody they will make opportunities they will create space for something so i think that, that that's actually a really effective tool i'd say on the coaching piece and the mentorship piece like it's been important in my life for sure. And those mentors are sometimes other women, sometimes they're they're men, sometimes they're people who look more like me, sometimes they're people who look completely opposite from me. Um, but having the opportunity to share a perspective, to seek advice, to ask pointed questions, like I think that's just really imperative. I'd say the coaching piece has been really important for me to realize and the best coaching advice I've ever been given. So first of all, there was former boss, you know, sort of said to me, like, I'm sure you can figure this out. But another piece of coaching advice that's really stead me well, and I've used this with so many people along the way is what exactly have you failed at in your career? Right. Like at some point, I love that that question too. Right. So why are you so certain that this is the moment that you're going to be found out? (laughs) Um, And so I'd say, you know, that kind of resilience around and the courage to sort of keep going. Like, listen, my resilience is low at times. I sound like it's never, but it is. Um, And I don't always know what I'm doing. And I 
don't always think that I've got this right. But, you know, again, I think things like optimism and being positive and kind of curious just causes you to sort of redirect all of that negative energy that you might have about yourself and what you're not good at and what you don't have to be curious and and to lean into those pieces. And so, you know, I would say, of course, you know, like I get the lovely opportunity to bring new people onto the team and you put together the job description and you sort of talk about all the things that you want. But I, I've always said to people, if we can't find somebody with like the perfect experience, and sometimes we, we're not even looking for the perfect experience. What I want is the right attitude because you can learn all kinds of things, right? I can send you on a course. I can give you a book. We can sit down and I could, you know, drum this into you every day for an hour for three weeks. But what I need and, and the intangible is that great can-do attitude, kind of optimism that they're going to be able to figure it out, resourcefulness to kind of get over some hurdles. And perhaps those hurdles are systems. They could be people. They could just be a lack of knowledge. But you, know, where's your your ingenuity? your curiosity, your willingness to do that. So to me, it's always about attitude. And because you can teach the law, you can teach a system to anybody. It's especially if they've got that first dimension, which is like kind of the right attitude. So that's where I lean to. And the further I go in my career, the more important it is to surround people who sort of think positively like that. It's it's an interesting one. Is it innate? Is it attitude? Is it innate? Is it learned? Can it be cultivated? If you're advising those out there who are earlier in their career, what are you saying about attitude? How does someone develop a really healthy curiosity and a positive attitude and a kind of a can-do? Because we're all, we all look as it. The more thing you get, the more you look for it because you see you see the impact of it on a team. But nobody teaches you about attitude at law school. No, nobody teaches you about the can do. You know, a lot of it's, it comes from the, the 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 environment you've come from, the way you've been nurtured, maybe some of your early experiences. What's the advice that you give out? You give to those earlier in career about about attitude. Can you can you Build it um, and learn it, and create a an attribute that you might not have had naturally for whatever reason in the past. Well, it's a, it's a great question, and actually, I'm, I'm sort of I don't know that there's a there's a have a ready answer for it, but I would say I think mo- I'm going to make a broad assumption here, and I'm sure I'm wrong, but that's okay. I think most people have genuine enthusiasm and curiosity about something, and it, but it's not always. For the work that they do, right? So they might obsess about classic cars or, I don't know, my 12-year-old loves anime. So yeah. not so much into all the school stuff, but he's really deeply passionate about that. And I think when you can find ways to either activate that passion, your energy around that, and, and find a conduit for that in work, that's yeah. wonderful. Now, sometimes they don't, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I think where, where I would say is I've always tried to find out about the people that I work with and folks on my team to find out about the things that they really love. And hopefully we can bring, you know, some of the audaciousness, the curiosity, the the courage that they might have around those pieces to their work so that, so that, you know, they can perhaps take off, they can find some fun in what they're doing, right? Because there, there is a connection and maybe that connection is through the people that you get to work with or the subject matter of what you do or the way that you tackle it. So I, I do think optimism can absolutely be cultivated. I think there's a lot of lawyers who've been 
scarred in their experiences by don't tell me know, it's been beaten out of them when they were <laughs> is that what you're saying it was just they, they were crushed when, when earlier on it, in their career a little bit right but you know when you our work is all about a perfection standard and if you get it wrong especially for those of us who came out of you know private law firms if you get it wrong like there's a there's law, there's lawsuits there's marks on your permanent record with the law society like there's all these terrible things that can happen to you for not being 100% right, which then I think, again, diminishes our ability to take risks. Um, it certainly discourages it, right? Because the consequences of taking a risk is usually not going to pay off. And I think it takes a long time to shake that off. And that's one of the pieces that I've loved about being part of an organization, being part of a company is like, I'm in now in a bank, I've got to maintain lines, but I'm very much in the risk, risk taking business, right? I mean, my job and my team's job are often to talk about how we mitigate risk, but that doesn't mean we don't take it. We just Correct. want to take small risks, right? So let's not let's avoid the dumb risk, right? So that's what I'm here to tell you about the the illegality, like the really really dumb. But the rest of it, like let's let's do it. And so you know, I think looking for the solutions. I mean, it is the difference between I think really happy, engaged, highly sought after in house counsel, and they're the ones who can see the opportunity, not because they're more genius, but I think it's just because they actually like look at it as opportunity and looking for opportunity as opposed to like ways to lock down all the risk. So yep. I hope yep. that makes some sense. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that a little bit more. It's a good yeah. question. Uh, well, it's funny. It's one, again, when thinking about um, the environment you create, it, you know, as you're raising kids, are you creating an environment in which um, – Challenges that come up are viewed as opportunities, are viewed as learning, being enthusiastic about, or is the environment, again, whether it's in the family, whether it's in the early part of your workforce career, what's the environment you're creating? And can you, and I, I think there is a lot of, I think partly it is innate, but certainly I think it can be nurtured too. So what is the environment that you're able to create, whether it's home, whether it's at work, which is fostering, uh, yeah. uh, I can do this, I should be enthusiastic. This is an opportunity, not a problem. That's right. Yeah. And, and 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 bringing a very, then, a, a, a very different lens on, on the way yeah. you, go, you go about solving it. Well, and I think you can take some risks, perhaps in safer environments. So I always say that probably one of the best leadership opportunities that I had was when my children were young and I really wanted to get involved in their school. And I knew I couldn't be one of those parents who was volunteering eight hours a day or six hours a day or whatever. So I definitely don't have the aptitude to deal with little children that much, um, mine included. Um, and so I wanted to get involved. So I got involved in school council, the parent council. And it was like such an, it was the worst experience in some ways too, because like people are crazy when they're on those. <laughs> As a general rule in society, people are crazy. Yep. But yep. you know, what could you care more about than your little whatever, your little lovely thing who you're just really worried about them? But it was such an amazing place to learn about leadership and how to run a meeting and how to be the chair and how to get people, you know, from from different positions to kind of find a common ground. And so it was an opportunity for me to fail. Um, in a safe yep. environment where the consequences were pretty low, um, but also then to sort of succeed and to learn and try out different techniques. And so I always say to people, don't try something out in the most high stakes situation ever. Like, don't try that out, in, you know, but find places where you can learn how to test it out, get better, iterate, 
or tell people that you're trying something out. And you'd be amazed at how people, um, you know, will be totally surprised that you'd be so candid about what you're trying to do and then want you to grow and learn. Like I'm, it never ceases to amaze me how much people actually like helping other people and wanting them to succeed. Right. So sometimes you just got to put it and, out there. And, 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 and you know, that, that, that brings me to, I mean, I can see the broader areas uh, that you're involved in. Uh, if I'm going to read out a list here, you're, you're the chair of the board of the Oakville Community Foundation, uh, director of Women General Council in Canada and builder um, and designer of its general council university, um, I think you're a director of the Global Board of the ACC, founding member of Fearless Women Giving Collective and the Ryerson Law and Business Advisory Council. You're doing all of that. God knows where you get the time. But tell me about the why for you. What's the mission? What, 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 what do you get out of it? And what are you hoping others that, mm-hmm. that I suppose that, um, that uh, you were involved with get, get out of your participation in those kind of roles? Well, I hope it's something constructive and positive. Yep. <laughs> um, but what do I get out of it? I get out of it the opportunity to bring myself in a different capacity to each one of these organizations, right? So it's very humbling to be a volunteer because, you know, you could be fired, right? Yeah. It's, it's you know they they choose to bring you on, and and I think every good organization will have to have the courage to know sometimes when people aren't fulfilling or living up to their needs there. But it's 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 very humbling for me to find ways to kind of serve the communities that I'm part of, and you know each one of those is a different community for me. So there's my local community. I live in the town of Oakville. This is a local community foundation. I've learned so much about the demographics in our town, the challenges that our, our relatively wealthy bubble community have. And yet there's, you know, these sectors of poverty and these and hunger and, you know, all these challenges wow. that our community has that can so easily get masked when I live in a community of bankers and lawyers and, you know, everybody's sort of going on vacation twice a year and drives a nice car and doesn't seem to be food insecure, but we have members of our community who are. Um, <clears throat> so local community. And then, you know, each one of those is sort of a very deliberate choice on my part. You know, I'd say probably in the early part of my career, I was grateful to be invited and asked to do things. And I, I always took those opportunities because I learned so much and I got to see how other people were leading and I got to see and, and got to experience what their leadership felt like, which could feel very different, especially when I yep. was in the law firm, because you were sort of a collection of, you know, Type A, yeah, collection of type A personalities. That's right. And so what happens when you've got this other person and they're bringing a tremendous amount of value, but they're doing it in a different way. And so I'd say, you know, my, my women general counsel community, my, I've been a number, I've been the director of a number of uh, minority bar associations. And again, you know, the opportunities that we create for each other and, and, and there, the ACC is a global organization. And so that's been a tremendous honor to get to kind of work with general counsel and leaders in different parts of the world. It's also a marvel at how they schedule a board meeting when we've got people in every continent. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and virtually has, has been extra challenging. And, and then, you know, there's the, how do we try out some new and different models of philanthropy? So, you know, you talk about the Giving Collective there. That was a, a net new sort of idea that we didn't create, right? It wasn't an invention. It yeah. was sort of like, oh, they're using it over there. How could we iterate and create this in our community? And, and how can we do this? And, you know, found 35 women who are similarly motivated to create a Giving Collective to fund activities that are of importance to us based on our priorities in our local communities. And one of the items that you mentioned there was the 
designer and builder of something called General Counsel University. And to me, that's just been so much fun, um, which is to take this idea that there was an opportunity uh, and and a space. There's lots of programs out there. There's lots of courses. There's lots of organizations that offer education and training for general counsel. But we couldn't, in our survey, find one that was focused on sort of that senior female lawyer in their organization, whether they're the general counsel or perhaps in a, in a uh, related role, chief information officer, chief risk officer, et cetera. But that seems so as a, as a lawyer, that place in your career, that's really focused about leadership capability, about that next role that you might want to have in your paid professional career, board roles, you know, as a corporate director or otherwise, or just even like how you're, you know, where are you going to go in the world? So we built a program for it and it's amazing. Like it's amazing to kind of, get this opportunity to create a vision and then fill it out. And we actually just launched it on Friday and we have our first cohort of 12 and we finished our first two days and it was just an amazing community. And it was one of those things where it was like, well, we built it hopefully they'll come and they did. Um, And so, you know, I I feel like I sometimes get to do some things in my, uh, in my extracurriculars that I can't always do in my day job. Um, but exercise some different muscles and and do some different pieces and sometimes create something wholly new. So yeah, again, I I get great joy from from those kinds of things. But I've also learned that I have to sometimes step off of things. So that parents will cancel. Four years was enough. <laughs> it was time for me to step back. <laughs> um, that's right. But, that's right. You given your best <laughs> self. That was it. That's all you had. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you know I've got to contribute again and get a lens into this place that I send my children to every day to see what's going on. And anyway, so Fantastic. I uh, I I think it's a great privilege to be able to serve in that way. And I feel like for most busy people sure you're the same Jim yeah. you know you make the time when it's important to you and yep. when it's not important to you I don't have time to do certain things right so you know you just prioritize where there's love getting right? really good at that actually valuing <laughs> your time because you can fill anything in um, but 100%. recognizing that it's limited and um, finite uh, yeah that takes a little bit of time because and then becoming just comfortable saying no. Uh, yes. I have limited time, uh, I, and uh, and it's getting more finite as every day passes. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's an that that's an important skill. Um, Binu, I'm going to round out with a few questions I often ask my okay. guests. Tell me, what have you spent too much time worrying about in the past, which, on reflection, hasn't been time well spent? Really, just worrying about what other people are thinking about. Yeah, I mean, there's some other people whose opinions do count but yeah. nobody is ever thinking about you as much as you are right? Yeah, no, and so, that's right. uh, <laughs> oh is that a lesson <laughs> not even a fraction of how much you are thinking about yourself a tiny no, frame. Like specifically your children are not thinking about you at all had that conversation last night at dinner. Let, let, me, let me assure you, kids, that nobody's thinking about you as much as you are. I love that. I absolutely love that. So I, I think that's it. I mean, and so worrying about what everybody else was going to say or what they might think about that. I think, you know, everyone's going through their stuff and um, they're really not paying that much attention to you. And if they're thinking poorly of you, you've got to own what you've done or what's happened. And there's going to be times when you've screwed up and you got to take that on the chin. But, uh, you know, I think that's been a good lesson. And I would say another one for me is always just about trying to live a life where I'm not going to regret the things that I did or I didn't do. 
Have I made mistakes? A hundred percent. Have I let people down? A hundred percent. And do I feel badly about that? Absolutely. But were my intentions right? You know, did I deliberately go out and try to do something terrible to somebody? Not, not in a long time. Um, there's some ugly teenage moments. Uh, My mom would probably like to talk to you about things that I've done to hurt her over the years. (laughs) Now let's talk to her her way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and and talking about the regrets, um, yeah. it's am I right in saying it's usually not the regrets of what you did? It's usually the regrets about what you didn't do. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what. So that's certainly my experience. You don't. Re- you, you might regret the way you might have done something, but the bigger right. regrets in life are what you didn't do. Yeah, it's the past opportunities. It's the. It's the not even having thought about it, slam the door on something. And yeah, you're, you're, I think you're absolutely right. So, so I tend to say yes to a lot of things and then sometimes have to back myself back out of it. Um, but I am trying to get better about saying no, thank you. And here's somebody who could really benefit from this opportunity, or I'd like to pay it forward. And I think as I keep going in my career, I'm so lucky to have many opportunities directed to me. And I keep thinking about the great generosity that others show to me by introducing me to some people to making certain opportunities available to me. And I, you know, definitely not at the end of my career in any way, but I keep thinking about the way I can pay it forward, the way that I could do some systemic, maybe not systemic, but do some tinkering, right. To create equitable opportunities for people to bring some people into the light who might not otherwise get there and not to disadvantage anybody else, but to give that leg up to some others. And so it's, uh, it's, it's a great privilege to be able to do that, right? It's not a burden. It's a privilege. No, I I agree totally. Paying it forward, making an impact on other people's lives and getting in a position where with minimal effort, you can make a significant impact on a person or a team or whatever it might be. Um, that is a great privilege. I love that, thinking about that. And um, you know, whether you think about it in terms of paying it forward, the reality is the more senior you get or more influence you get, the, the less you have to do to make real impact on yes. people. And if, you, and if you're constantly thinking about that, if I think about in my career too, it was just a few little things, a little leg up, yes. a little support that made an enormous impact. And it didn't take a lot. But the timing was right or the opportunity was there. And if that's something that every one of us listening out there can think about, it's a little bit of effort often um, making a massive impact to, let's call it the next generation coming behind you. Um, It's a a great way to think about it. And it's what you're doing for me right here. So thank you. Thank you for giving me this wonderful opportunity to talk with you and get to know you a little bit more, but also to, to, um, to get to engage sort of in a one-way direction with your people and your your world. Well, so well Bindo, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've so enjoyed catching up with you. Thank you so much for joining me. I had an absolute blast. Thank you so much. And I wish everybody a great, great night. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Bindo. Bye-bye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning into the show. For more, please subscribe to the show in your favourite podcast player. If you or someone you know would make a great guest on the show, please connect with me, Jim, the host of the show, via email, jim at pursuit, P-E-R-S-U-I-T dot com. We'd love to hear from you.